Coming up on Word Matters, all about abbreviations. I'm Emily Brewster, and Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media. On each episode, Merriam-Webster editors Amon Shea, Peter Sokolowski, and I explore some aspect of the English language from the dictionary's vantage point. When is an abbreviation an acronym? And when is an acronym also an initialism? I'll explain it all. Among the different variety of lexical items in the English language, we have a category called abbreviations. And abbreviations are kind of word wannabes, right? They are not words. They are a shortened version of a word. We shorten it for convenience or for fun. And there are, among abbreviations, there's the kind where just random letters get taken out, or not so random, really, like the word APT for apartment, or APPT for appointment. Sometimes they have a period after them, sometimes they do not. And then we also have acronyms and initialisms. Uh Acronym is the broader category. An acronym is an abbreviation that is made of the first letter or letters of a series of words. So, for example, radar comes from radio detection and ranging. Mm -hmm. And the RA of radar at the beginning is from the first two letters of radio. That's why an acronym is not from specifically the first letter of a set of words. Scuba is self-contained underwater breathing apparatus. And we have something like DIY, meaning do-it-yourself, and ASAP, as soon as possible. All acronyms, except... Some people would get really upset if we said that DIY and ASAP are acronyms. Because we don't pronounce them as as their... You are both correct. For some people, there is a really hard line between an acronym that can be pronounced as a word and an acronym that is identified by its letters. Mm. So ASAP, we don't say ASAP. Although I have said ASAP, actually. (laughs) Some people do. If you say ASAP, then it just magically becomes an acronym. But if you say ASAP, it is very specifically an initialism. Of course, though, we do define acronym as an initialism as well. Yes, we do. We kind of say ASAP could be called an initialism and it could be called an acronym. And we say this not because we're making a judgment call. We say this because this is how people use the word acronym. Sometimes they use it to refer to ASAP, and sometimes they use it to refer to ASAP. And you can certainly distinguish between these two, and the world will not think poorly of you for distinguishing between these two. But people might get a little annoyed if you're the person at the party who has to stop the conversation to say, well, actually, that's an initialism. Nobody really cares that much. And you definitely do not want to be the person who decides to die on the hill of scuba being an initialism, because that's just totally not even true, right? So you do want to know them well enough to know that initialism just means you say the initials, I guess. Right. <laughs> we do give ASAP as a variant, a phonetic field for ASAP. So we give it ASAP and comma ASAP. We actually do give that information. So that's an interesting one. Actually, if you want cocktail party fodder about acronyms and initialisms, ASAP, ASAP is your word to bring. Absolutely. 
I think it's interesting that the most famous word in the English language, as in the word that is most widely used outside of English-speaking regions, is also an initialism, a.k.a. an acronym, and that is the word OK. All it, correct. All correct. Yes, Peter, wait a minute. <laughs> all correct? OK? Explain. <laughs> Ammon might know the story better, but apparently there was a trend of humorous misspellings in journalism in the 19th century, and all correct spelled with an O and a K was frequent enough, and obviously what it conveyed was an intent to be humorous, that that lighthearted use was abbreviated as OK. It's really a remarkable success, isn't it? As you say, the most popular word in the English language. Yeah, it's a good story. 1839 for the adverb or adjective use of OK. I really like the word OK also as an example of playfulness to remind people that other playful abbreviations like TMI Mm -hmm. and BRB, there's a long tradition of playful acronyms in the English language, Mm -hmm. way, way back to 1839, (laughs) and I'm sure longer ago than that also. There's another famous abbreviation with a dictionary connection, famous in a particular edition of a Merriam-Webster dictionary. It's the word doored. Right, Because it was, in fact, an abbreviation. That is to say, this so-called ghost word that was originally to be entered in the abbreviation addenda, by the way, because in Webster's second, the 1934 unabridged edition, the abbreviations were collected at the back of the book, and it was spelled capital D or lowercase d as the chemical abbreviation for the word density. And the D and the O-R and the other D were smushed together. And rather than appearing in the abbreviation addenda, it appeared in the body of the dictionary under its spelling, D-O-R-D, and is widely regarded as maybe the most famous error in a dictionary, and certainly the most famous error in a Merriam-Webster dictionary for a so-called ghost word, a word that was entered with a definition. So it said doored noun density, and of course it didn't exist. It was not a real word, and it was subsequently removed. A very famous example of an abbreviation in a dictionary. Right. But capital D and lowercase d are still used as abbreviations (laughs) for the word density. It's just that you should look for them in the abbreviations section, not in the general section of the vocabulary, which reminds me of something else, which is that during our time at Merriam-Webster, the abbreviations addenda at the back of the collegiate dictionary was actually folded into the what we call the A to Z, the body of the dictionary itself, so that abbreviations could be much more easily found in an alphabetical order with the general vocabulary. So CIA, for example, would fall into the C's of the dictionary and not stuck in the purgatory of the back of the book. We made that change because what dictionary consultant is going to think CIA is not going to be in the regular part of the dictionary. It's going to be in a special section all in the back. And I just want to interject. I really like your use of the word consultant to mean one who consults, (laughs) not somebody who consults like a business consultant. I like that. I'm going to start using that. (laughs) I think that is a very particular Merriam-Webster use of the word consultant, (laughs) one who consults the dictionary. A reader, a right, user. Right. Consultant is just the right ring. That's a good word. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? TLDR, I'm going to get us back to <laughs> acronyms. TLDR, that one entered our dictionary not very long ago. And, you know, it's an unusual abbreviation in that it has punctuation inside. Mm-hmm, it is mm-hmm. TL semicolon DR, and it means 
too long, didn't read. <laughs> it is often a commentary on something that you're referring to that is too long for you to have read. You're going to summarize it for your reader, or you're going to say, I'm referring to this thing that I have not read because it is too long. You're listening to Word Matters. I'm Emily Brewster. BRB with more on abbreviations. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Word Matters listeners get 25% off all dictionaries and books at shop.merriam-webster.com by using the promo code MATTERS at checkout. That's MATTERS, M-A-T-T-E-R-S, at shop.merriam-webster.com. I'm Ammon Shea. Do you have a question about the origin, history, or meaning of a word? Email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. I'm Peter Sokolowski. Join me every day for The Word of the Day, a brief look at the history and definition of one word, available at merriam-webster.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more podcasts from New England Public Media, visit the NEPM Podcast Hub at nepm.org. It seems like new abbreviations sprout up daily. So what's a dictionary to do? This heyday of abbreviations, though, is problematic for us as lexicographers. TLDR met our criteria for entry because we had encountered it in enough published edited text that it met our criteria for entry, just like any other word does. And this is what we require of all abbreviations before we will consider them for entry. TMI also met our criteria. We had evidence of it in published edited text of various kinds, formal, informal, but it wasn't that it was just relegated to text messages or to Twitter. If something Mm. only exists on Twitter, we don't enter it. It does not meet our qualifications, doesn't meet our criteria, but these other words did. But we are all encountering texting abbreviations out in the world and not so much in published edited text. Well, there are also these great gaps on occasion, and perhaps one of the best-known ones, at least in lexicographic circles, was OMG, and there was a, a wonderful, wonderful citation that the Oxford English Dictionary found, which was from John Aberthnot Fisher, I believe, who was the Lord of the Admiralty. He was a British admiral, and he wrote a letter in 1917, and I'm pretty sure the letter was written to Churchill, in which he writes, I hear that a new order of knighthood is on the tapis. O-M-G. And then in parens, he very helpfully writes, O, exclamation mark, my God, exclamation mark, end of parens. It's clear case of O-M-G, although there's some speculation he may have been making punning reference to the Order of St. Michael and St. George. But it's O-M-G in clear text, though it's epistolary in nature. It's a handwritten letter. But then it doesn't show up again until 1994. So you can argue that this is still obviously early lexical evidence, but it's not a sign that it was in common use for the next 70-odd years. 
It's a great citation, but it's also a sign that things kind of come and go, and it's a good reminder as well, which has been raised before, that there are a number of abbreviations which can occasionally be much older than we think. And David Crystal had a whole book on this called Texting the Great Debate, in which great, of course, is spelled GR8. Debate is similarly truncated. This is a number of years ago about the kind of early profusion of words coming out of texting and how many of them, in fact, had been around for decades, if not hundreds of years already. But a lot of them are hidden. They're not in the type of sources that we generally look to. That's very interesting. I was looking at Gretchen McCulloch's Because Internet. And in this book, one of the things that she talks about is the slangy internet abbreviations. And she says that the first slangy internet abbreviations that are so familiar to us can be traced specifically to around 1977 in a particular document. So there's a document that programmers in the late 1970 used to chronicle their own jargon. They were writing to one another and they were using this jargon. And this document that they were keeping came to be known as the Jargon File. And it was published in 1983 as a print book called The Hacker's Dictionary. But the jargon file was this electronic index, and older versions of it would get overwritten by the new versions, which was a shame because Mm. you would just get rid of the old version when the old version is a very rich source for understanding when something developed. But in 2018, they recovered an archive of backup tapes going back to 1976. And the oldest of these backup texts was a plain text file from August 12th of 1976. And it has none of the abbreviations that we think of. Hmm. Absolutely none of them. But in 1977, they start appearing, including BTW Hmm. and FYI. Also Hmm. CUL for see you later and BCNU for BCNU. (laughs) It's so interesting to me that these programmers, there is a before and after, and it was 1976 and 1977. Wow. FYI, is that recent? Yes. It's that recent in this particular document. We date FYI to 1986, so well after that even. I have to say I'm surprised. For some reason, that one felt more embedded into the language. It's also interesting to me that our date is so much later than this. Mm. That clearly needs to be revised. Mm -hmm. But that's one of the challenges, as we were just talking about, we enter abbreviations when we have substantial evidence of them in published edited text from over an extended period of time. And that is what we look at primarily when we are deciding whether or not something is ready to be defined. But our process of dating these terms goes back to sources like the ones that Gretchen McCulloch is citing in this book, Because Internet. When we're actually looking for the dating information, we go back to sources that are not published edited text. And we are now in this position where the public has questions about the meanings of these abbreviations. And we are figuring out ways to talk about them without changing our criteria for entry because we can't do that. But we can answer questions about what these things mean. And also, I think it's worth pointing out that our criteria for entry are not uniform across the industry. There are particularly, say, in cases of slang lexicography. I know there are some lexicographers who have dated things based on visual and auditory evidence. They're watching a TV or a movie. They'll date things based on that kind of use, which is totally acceptable as well, of course. It's just a different focus on where you're getting your evidence from and what kind of evidence you're linking. Some dictionaries would only use words from movies if they had a copy of the script, which is kind of (laughs) making a little bit of a nice point of it. If the word's being used, it's clearly being used. But every dictionary has their own criteria for this sort of thing. 
I remember it was maybe around 2003 or so. I was emailing with a friend, and she's a technical writer, and she signed off her email with TTFN, and I was so confused. I just had no idea (laughs) what TTFN meant. And she replied very kindly and told me that it means ta-ta for now. (laughs) I've always liked that TTFN. This is from someone who never would say ta-ta for now. (laughs) That was not something that she would ever say to me. But in an email, she used that as a sign-off, TTFN. My sister-in-law and I have a habit of ending our messages to one another with just a whole line of indiscriminate letters all mashed together (laughs) as just a jocular way of poking fun at such sign-offs as TTFN. I wouldn't have guessed Tata for now from TTFN, to be honest with you. I would have thought it was something a little more fricative and insulting. Let us know what you think about Word Matters. Review us wherever you get your podcasts or email us at wordmatters at m-w.com. You can also visit us at nepm.org. And for the word of the day and all your general dictionary needs, visit merriam-webster.com. Our theme music is by Tobias Voigt. Artwork by Annie Jacobson. Word Matters is produced by John Vosey. For Amon Shea and Peter Sokolowski, I'm Emily Brewster. Word Matters is produced by Merriam-Webster in collaboration with New England Public Media.